Thank you, dear brother. We're going to be in Judges 18 this morning. Um, I've titled this sermon this morning, I Do What I Want to Do. I Do What I Want to Do. Subtitle is this, but mix God stuff in with it to make myself feel better. <laughs> That's the subtitle to this. I do what I want to do, but mix God stuff in with it to make myself feel better. Don't usually do a subtitle, do I? But I thought, they'll see what I'm talking about once I start reading. However, before I read, I do want to um, thank Seth for the music this morning. What wonderful songs. Um, will you bow with me? Father, we need and want your grace this morning. We need and want your grace, number one, to focus on the truth, to focus on your word. Our hearts have come in here, our minds have come in here this morning distracted. Let's just be honest. Um, There's so many things going on in all of our lives. So I pray, give us the grace, number one, to focus on the word of God. Number two, please give us the grace to believe the word of God. And number three, give us the grace to then live according to the Word of God. Lord, I'm asking for grace for all three of these things this morning. We need your help to do this. We cannot do these things in and of ourselves. So Lord, please cause us, make us to be recipients of this grace this morning and of this truth this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be reading all of Judges 18 this morning. Uh, It's a bit long. It's going to be about four minutes of reading, probably. However, uh, I guess probably the worst complaint that you could lob at that is, I went to church this morning and heard a lot of Bible. So, I mean, I don't think you could... That's not a huge complaint, right? That you could actually throw at that. So just listen, please, and follow along while I read. Because you're going to need... We need the whole chapter, because it's a story that unfolds. It's action-packed enough to keep your attention, and it's shocking enough to keep your attention, okay? So, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan were seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Dan had fallen to them. So, the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and Eshtel, to spout the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here, and what are you doing in this place, and what's your business here? He said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I've become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we're setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security, after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtel, forgive me, Their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise, let us go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and to possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. 
so 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtel and went and encamped at Kiliath Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahanadan, which means the camp of Dan. To this day, behold, it's west of Kiriath Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to the brothers, Do you know that in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now, therefore, consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite and to the home of Micah and asked about his welfare. Now, the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 armed men with the, with the weapons of war. And when they went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand over your mouth, come with us, be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be the priest of the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel? The priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and livestock and the gods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, You take my gods that I made and the priest... And go away, and what if I have left? How then do you ask, what's the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life, and, uh, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for them, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, and the priest who belonged to him. And they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth-Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name Dan of their ancestor who was born into Israel. But... The name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves and Jonathan, that's the name of the priest, by the way, son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that they had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. This is the word of God. Notice how the verse chapter, rather, starts out with verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Now, that's a shortened version of what we've already read. Last time we covered this book, two weeks ago, uh, that sermon was called, This is When You Know It's Bad. That's from two weeks ago. You can go find it on the website. We saw in that chapter, this verse, for the first time. It's in chapter 17, verse 6. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So this verse 1 is like a shortened version of that. Well, that verse 
sandwiches this final section of the book of Judges. You might recall that chapter 17 through 21 is a whole new section in this book. Well, those two verses act as sandwiches between the content of these chapters. There's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes because we find it in chapter 17, verse 6, and then it's the very last book, I mean, uh, verse in the book of Judges in, in 21, 25. They sandwiched the clear message in this section. What's the clear message of these chapters? Israel's sinful condition. That's what we're supposed to see. That's what the author is trying to show us. Why had their condition become so sinful? Well, because everyone's doing what's right in his own eyes. Everyone's doing what he wants to do, despite what the Lord says. Hence the title, I do what I want to do. Refusing to believe and submit to God's holy word has made these people become just like the people of the land that they were supposed to be driving out, the Canaanites. That's what the author wants us to see in these final chapters, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. Israel has become just like Canaan. Why? Because they were refusing to submit to God's word, and so they've been focusing rather on sin and self, which has made them become just like the Canaanites. Here's the truth. When there's no objective standard of truth, then truth becomes subjective, meaning it can be whatever I want it to be. That's what subjective truth means. We believe in objective truth, the Word of God. Subjective truth means you get to create it. It might be different for you, as is very common in our day. That's your truth. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's your truth. My truth is this. If it completely contradicts one another, then they both can't be true. That's just logic. But, as you know, logic has gone out the window and feelings have entered in. Now, last time uh, we saw that truth had, be had become subjective in the home, specifically the home of Micah. Saw that in chapter 17. Made his own gods, appointed his own priests. He's doing, what he, he's doing what he wants to do. Today, we see this in society, namely in the tribe of Dan. So chapter 17 is all about life inside of a home. 18 is all about, okay, what's it like in society? And we're saying it's no better. Because what happens in the home, like we said last week, last time rather, affects the, the land. So in verse 1, we're told Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. And it says, for until then, no inheritance among the tribes had fallen to them. Well, yes and no. And inheritance had actually fallen to them, but they refused to take it back. You probably don't remember, and that's okay. Back in chapter 1, because that was many, many months ago, <laughs> it says this in Judges 1.34, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come back down to the plain. The Danites were told in the book of Joshua, Joshua 19, we're told what allotment they were given. Because the promised land was given to Abraham and his descendants forever, we're told in each tribe, tribe of Dan being one of those, was given a certain allotment. 
And Joshua 19 tells us exactly what that allotment was. Well, now Judges 1 tells us that the tribe of Dan lost it. Why? Because the Amorites came back in and pushed them back out. So the truth is, the fact that in verse 2, we see the Danites going to look for another land that was not the land that God allotted to them, we see that they're actually in violation of the covenant that God made with Abraham. By doing this, they are breaking covenant with God because they are not getting what was supposed to actually be theirs. They're going after somebody, somebody else's land. They were not attempting to recapture the land allotted to them. They were looking elsewhere, away from what God had ordained for them. Now, there's a principle there. Anytime we reject what God has given us and then go against his word looking for something else that we like better, we actually fall into a snare and many hurtful lusts. Anytime we go against God's word looking for something else that we like better, and what I mean go against it like in a sinful way, purposefully sinning, we fall into a snare and many hurtful lusts. This applies to so many areas. I especially want to put emphasis on this, this especially applies to your marriage as well. When you desire to violate that covenant, that holy covenant, those holy covenant vows that you made before God Almighty and witnesses, you start looking for someone else that God has not ordained for you, congratulations, you've fallen into the trap of the wicked one. You have fallen into the lust of your own flesh and you have fallen into the lies of the world. Now, are there biblical grounds for divorce? Yes, there are. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is infidelity in marriages. If someone's willing to, listen to this, if someone's willing to accommodate you in your adultery, knowing that you're married, that person hates you and hates God because staying true to your spouse Giving a godly example to your children and honoring God is what will bring you ultimate fulfillment and joy and peace. And if someone is more than happy to help you derail that, that person is an enemy of God. And you need to know that. Despite what your fickle feelings tell you, that person ultimately hates you and hates God. So staying true to God's word will save your marriage, not to mention it will keep you from sin. What? You might be saying, Cohen, you're spending a lot of time on marriage here. It's, that's not in the text. You're right, it's not. There's a principle there. God had allotted something to them, and they said, no thanks. I want something else. And if you're married, you've made holy covenant vows before God Almighty, and they're binding. And I know, because you feel it, I feel it. There's so much in our culture that's tempting us and pulling us to break those vows. Staying true to God's word will save your marriage. Godliness with contentment is great gain, we're told, in the word of God. Being content with what God has given you, not just in marriage, but in so many other areas. This does not just apply to marriage. I'm bringing up marriage because marriages are under attack. They just are. We know that. But there's so many other areas of life where this principle is also true. And there's a great gain when we're content with what God has given us. In verses 2 through 5, we see this, that the Danites 
imitate their forefathers, and they choose to spy out this land just like their forefathers went and spied out the promised land, right? Heading roughly 100 miles north, by the way. This wouldn't have been a quick journey. This would have been a long journey. Roughly 100 miles north, they pass through Ephraim. They lodge at Micah's home. This is the same Micah from our previous chapter. Remember the one who stole from his mother? Comes back and says, hey, I stole the money. Here's it back. And he didn't do that because he was pricked in his conscience. He did that because he didn't want the curse that she called down upon the thief. She rewards him for his wicked actions by making him a silver god that he gets to worship. So remember the breakdown of the home. We just saw it last week. So this is the same Micah. These five spies stay there. While they're there, they hear someone who's got a southern accent. <laughs> they say, They recognize this man's accent. Just like if you've ever gone anywhere else besides here, and you hear someone with a southern voice, you say, hey, hey, where where are you from? Because we talk alike. Amy and I like to pick on these movies where these actors try to imitate a southern voice. Like we watch and we're just like, oh, no. He's, He's trying, bless his heart, but he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. But then we were watching a movie the other day where a clip was played, sounded like maybe from like a court session or something before the movie started because it was based on true events. And this gentleman was talking and we said, hey, that, guy, that guy's really from the South. And he was. We could pick it out. So that's what these people did. They were staying in Micah's home and they, they heard a, a good Southern boy like them. And they said, hey, what, what are you doing here? And so this Levite, he's a, he's a priest for hire, they found out. Because Micah, remember, hired him. Meaning his motive for doing what he's doing is money. When your motive is wrong, your message is wrong. Okay? This man was a priest, but he was a priest for hire. And then they found out that he's a priest. They basically said, hey, tell us. Tell us what is going to come about for us. Will our journey be successful, they said. And if you even got an IQ of 15, you know that if someone's coming to you and say, hey, is, is it going to be successful? You know they want it to be successful. So he tells them what they want to hear. Go in peace. This journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord if you've got your Bible open to verse 6, you'll see that the word Lord he uses there is all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's, like I told you last time we talked about this, that's the English interpreter's way of telling you this is the special name of God, Yahweh. There's little clues that the English interpreters give us when it's just Lord Elohim or Lord Yahweh, and this is the Lord Yahweh name. So, He draws on the name of Yahweh here, this priest. So they go. And, well, first of all, before I move on, he tells them what they want to hear, just like many false ministers in our day. Right? I know good and well that I could fill every seat in this room if I told people, what they wanted to hear. I could do that. What would be my motive? My motive would be popularity. 
maybe more money, something like that, right? Which would be horribly foolish. Why? Because I would be giving up God's approval for me actually being a true minister of the word who says what his word actually says to people who actually need to hear it for money and success. What a fool I would be if I did that. Exchanging the favor of God for money or popularity to a fickle people that will run to another church or run back home once I stop telling them what they want to hear, what a fool I would be, a pitiable fool. Yes? Like this priest. Shame on him. Really, shame on him. He was giving them what they wanted to hear. He was a priest for hire, invoking the name of Yahweh in doing so. Shame on him. Just like the false ministers, so many of them out there who are telling people what they want to hear. Oh, they fill churches. They fill churches, and they also fill hell. Shame on them. Jesus said that anyone who causes one of his little ones to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better for him. Better. Weighing out the options. Okay, being drowned in the depths of the sea with a massive stinking stone tied around my neck. Or this. I'll choose the stone. That's what we're talking about. Shame on him. So they go, thinking they've got the Lord's approval. Blessing. The middle section of our narrative shows us that the Danites begin their plan to prey on an unsuspecting people uh, that, that they find. Now, they take note that these people are peaceful, prosperous, and though they are Sidonians, they're far away from the land of Sidon, which means they're far away from any backup, right? They're far away from any reinforcements who might come and help them during a battle. So they're cut off from their other people. They're cut off from the land from which they came. They're pretty far away from it. Now, besides obvious reasons, let me tell you why um, this is another sign of them ignoring God's law, besides obvious reasons. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, says this. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, listen to these nations, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. And then he goes on to tell them what you are to do and what you're not supposed to do. Notice the Sidonians were not mentioned, were they? The Sidonians were not one of those seven nations under the specific punishment of God. God was using the Israelites as like basically his hammer, his gavel, to punish these people in this land. They were under his judgment, and God used them to punish them. But the Sidonians were not one of these seven nations. The Danites were not attempting to take back that God-allotted land from the Amorites. No, instead, they go after a quiet, peaceful, unsuspecting people to whom they were actually supposed to make terms of peace first. Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, 
makes it very clear that if you approach a nation, and it's not one of these seven nations that I've told you about, it says there that they're supposed to approach them with terms of peace first. That's in God's law. If it's not one of those seven bad guys and their nations, they were supposed to come with terms of peace first, and they didn't. So they're ignoring God's clear law that says, this is your land. They're refusing to chase those people out, probably because it's hard It's going to be hard to get the Amorites out. God forbid we do anything hard in God's name, right? Let's instead go to a people that are going to be way easy to conquer. They're peaceful. They're cut off. We can just land upon them and and get them easily. Church, unless your life is led by Scripture, unless your actions are directed by Scripture, unless your motives are motivated by Scripture, then you'll find that your life is being lived completely contrary to Scripture. And you'll find yourself under God's judgment, which is just what the Danites were doing. That's what we're supposed to see in this text. We're supposed to be seeing, oh my gosh, these guys are doing it all wrong. You're supposed to see that. And with me giving you some of the background of what the Word of God says and all that, you're saying, oh yeah, now I see. It's not just that, it's this too. Oh my gosh. And so when these spies return and tell the other Danites that they should not be slow in returning back with them to get these people to, to take this, this land, well, well, their friends are excited. Because of what the priest for hire told them, they even say this in verse 10. Look at verse 10. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. Why did they think that? Why did they think God had given it into their hands? Remember? Because the priest said so. They're more motivated to carry out their wicked acts because a self-serving minister told them what they wanted to hear. Those of us who stand as representatives of God, giving his message in this world, we need to understand that our actions, done right or done wrong, have consequences either for good or for evil. James says, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I have put myself under a much higher standard than many of you. We're all held to a standard, by the way. So don't think, whew, good. I can just, I can just be all wishy-washy. Cohen's the one that's really going to have a conversation with God in heaven. <laughs> no, we're all held to a high standard, right? I'm held to a higher one. Because guess what? If I make God look foolish, and I'm self-serving, and I'm wishy-washy in my message then you're going to go home and say, well, my pastor said this. Even though Paul says that there was a group of people that are counted more righteous because they checked to see what Paul said was true or not. The Bereans. I would rather you go home and say, I love my pastor very much, but I want to make sure what he says is right. Right? I mean, that's good. I encourage you to do that. I do. Because though I'm held to a high standard and I prepare my sermons in that way and pray and pray and pray as I'm prepping and pray before I get up here and speak, um, 
I'm still a man. This man, self-serving man, whose motives were money, told them, go in peace. What you do is under the eyes of Yahweh. They said, hey, God's with us. We're going to go fall upon this unsuspecting, peaceful people and murder every one of them. God's with us. We're going to do what we want to do and mix some God stuff in it to make us feel better while we do it. And it's evil. This is absolutely evil. Well, we know from verse 14 that those five spies took inventory of what they saw at Micah's house when they were there. The text doesn't tell us while they were there talking to the good old southern boy that they were taking inventory, but we do know that they were taking inventory because of what verse 14 tells us. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of, of Laish said to their brothers, this is now while they've got all their friends with them. Now they're all coming, all 600 strong are marching up through that same trail that they took when they went up there first. They come through Ephraim again, of course, because they're taking the same path. And now those five spies are saying, hey, do you know that these houses, in this house there's an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now consider what you will do. Just saying, they're over there. I mean, I'm not saying what we should do. I just want to let you know that they're over there, you know, just in case you want them. We've got our weapons. I'm just saying. So we see that they're coveting these items. We know from our text that they steal them by stealth. And we know that they keep them by force. They covet them, they steal them by stealth, and they keep them by force. Because the people come out against them and say, hey, what gives? And they say, hey, back up, son, or it's not going to go well with you. And then Micah goes away saying, well, shoot, that didn't work out well for me. No, it didn't, Micah. Here you were in chapter 17 saying, now I have a priest with me, a Levite, and the Lord will prosper me. Didn't work out so well for you, Micah. Did it? No, it didn't, Cohen. I must be a fool. Yeah, you are, because you went against God's word, and you think you're going to get God's blessings. Yes, that's foolish. That's foolish for all of us, isn't it? We go against God's word, and we think we're going to get God's blessing. When I was a missionary, the senior missionary over me who'd been there longer than I had, he was preaching a sermon one day and uh, the invitation was given at the end. Anybody who wants to come and be saved or anybody who wants to come and receive prayer, you can come up at this time. And there was a lady who came up and said, uh, my friend's name was Bob, and she said, oh, Mr. Bob, I want, I want God to, to bless me. Will you pray that he'll bless me? And he looked at her and he said, are you living a life that God can bless? And she said, no, Mr. Bob, I'm not. And praise God for that. Thank the Lord also. She repented and started changing. She was living with a man that she wasn't married to. And when I came then, years later, and I met her, she was a very godly woman, leading others in the truth too. Very godly woman. And I'll see her in heaven. So, here's these men acting in all these wicked ways, Contrary to the word of God, Micah now loses everything he thought he had because of God's blessing, and now he realizes, no, it's, it's gone. In verses 21 through 26, what we're supposed to see is when there's no objective truth, might makes right. When there's no objective standard that we live by, whoever's got the biggest stick gets to make up the rules. 
right? Because you've got your truth, I've got my truth. And guess what? My truth, my truth says I can do this. And you say, well, well, my truth says I can't do that. And I say over here, well, guess what? I'm bigger than you, and I'm stronger, so get over it. I'm going to do what I want to do and mix some God stuff with it to make myself feel better. And that's what they did. I mean, there's no objective standard, so their might is making right. There's no authority on which they chose to live, so they were doing what they wanted to do. And think about it. Think about this. Think about their thoughts. Their thoughts went something like this. But we Danites are stealing gods after all. Gods we mix with the name of Yahweh. So since our motive is to worship, therefore, our actions are justified. Yes, we stole their gods. Yes, we stole them by force. But it's so we could take them with us so we could be worshipful. So we could worship them. Yahweh, through them. After all, God's with us. God loves us because we're Jews. And we look at the Danites and we think, how could they think stealing false gods was the equivalent of God blessing them? I mean, right? We think that. Yes, that's a great question. How could they think stealing something was the equivalent of God blessing them? That's a great question. How could they think stealing something was the equivalent of God blessing them? Right? Have you ever looked at a receipt at a restaurant, your receipt at a restaurant, or your receipt from Walmart, and realized, I was not charged for something that I should have been charged for, and looked at it and said, well, I guess God blessed me, and walked off? Have you done that? No. God wasn't blessing you. God was testing you, and you failed, because you stole something, and you're a thief, and you need to repent. And you need to go make right what you stole. That's the truth. We look at the Danites and we say, oh, 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 gutter trash. Look what they're doing, right? Do we hold ourselves to that standard? We ought to. Because you and I both know there are a lot of ways to get more money by being dishonest in this world. A lot of ways. We can... Not divulge all the information about our taxes and things like that and get more money. We can, be, we can either keep back information or add information in certain business dealings to get more money. We know that. We all know that. But if we say we are followers of a man who calls himself the truth, then how dare we? Right? I follow a man called the truth. And I occasionally lie. And I'm cool with it. And he's cool with it too. No, he's not. And no, you're not. God can change liars and he can change thieves. So there's hope for you. This isn't just a message to say, oh, you're imperfect? Oh, you need to leave our church. No, 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 no. You're imperfect? You need to join our church. Because <laughs> we're all imperfect. And we have good news for you. There's a Savior who came to take that punishment that you and I deserve. Because this man who's speaking to you right now was a former thief and a former liar. And now God has changed me. He's changed me. And he can change you too. Dishonest gain, though, is an abomination to the Lord. Deuteronomy 25. Dishonest gain is an abomination to the Lord. We're not liars. We speak the truth. We don't do things dishonestly to get more money. We, we, we don't. 
because we follow a man who calls himself the truth. We don't look at a receipt and say, well, God, I guess God bless me. No, we, we say, excuse me, ma'am, I wasn't charged for this. You know what a witness that is? You know how many times we've had to do that? How many times God's tested us? And do you know what an example it gives when you go back? Even if you go back days later, even weeks later, and you say, oh, heavens, I wasn't charged for this. And you go back, excuse me, Mr. Bossman, yeah, I wasn't charged for this, and you know, I just can't sleep right because ultimately I'm stealing. I, I'm a man of conscience, and I'm, I just can't do that. That would be wrong to do. So I'd like to make up for that. And they say, well, uh, you're not normal. Exactly. You're not normal. You are unique because we follow a unique man named Jesus Christ. Amen? So, verses 27 through 31 show us that unfortunately their mission was successful. This quiet and unsuspecting Sidonian people, they are slaughtered and the city is rebuilt. Then they named it the city of Dan after the descendant of Dan, one of the sons of Jacob that they're descended from. And the chapter ends telling us that they set up the idols that were stolen from Micah's home. And even though the house of God was in Shiloh at that time, they choose to make this their center of worship, worshiping idols. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, The tribe of Dan was the first tribe in Israel to officially adopt an idolatrous system of religion. Even though there was the house of God in Shiloh, they preferred their images and idols. Years later, when the kingdom divided, Jeroboam I of Israel, was, uh, he would set up golden calves in Dan and Beersheba and encourage the whole nation to turn away from the true and living God. That's where those golden calves were set up in Dan and also in Beersheba. If we compromise in small areas, if we, leave the, if we crack the door open slightly to allow sin, I promise you this, Satan will kick the door open and a floodgate of wickedness will come in after it. I guarantee it. That's how he works. That's how sin always works. It is a cancer and it's never content with just a little bit. The devil wants it all. And he'll take it all. And you might give it all if you're not following this book. This is our only hope. Jesus said this, whoever's not with me is against me. He whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is very black and white here. Because the truth is very black and white. If you're not with me, you're against me. When the people reject God's holy word, and they end up following their own sinful will, this is what we get. This chapter, this is what we get. They do what they want to do. And the truth is, Men are going to do what they want to do. When I say men, I mean ma mankind. They do what they want to do. And it doesn't usually involve wanting to hear the truth of the word of God. It doesn't usually involve wanting to hear the gospel, but they need it. And whether or not they want to hear it, they need it. And the world must be told that their sins have separated them from the one true God. They must be told that all men have broken God's laws and are therefore under God's right, just judgment because he's a good judge. And good judges don't let 
sin slide, do they? Good judges don't. So all men are under God's judgment. But man must also hear this. Man must also hear that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world as their savior. Savior from sin. And that's such good news. That's why we call it the good news. This Jesus perfectly kept God's law. That law that we've broken, Jesus perfectly kept it. We're lawbreakers. He's the law keeper. He does not deserve judgment. We do. Yet what did he do? He stood in our place and took the judgment that we deserve. That justice that's supposed to come from that good judge, it fell upon Jesus Christ. He willingly took it on our behalf. Shedding his blood on the cross, he died to purchase a people that will come to him. And he rose again on the third day. He did not stay dead. And rising again from the third day showed a few different things. It showed that the price was paid. And it showed that he had authority over death and the grave. And because we're in him, if we're in him, I'm not going to assume that you are, if you are in him, through repentance of those sins, and faith that what he did for you saves you, not faith plus, not faith plus anything, not faith plus good works, not faith plus some kind of sacraments or something like that. Christ alone, faith alone in Jesus Christ alone saves us. And if you're in him through faith alone, you also conquer. You're clothed in a righteousness that's not your own. What if you are like the Danites, a liar, thief, fornicator, adulterer? Jesus covers that. He covers that. Past, present, and future. He covers that. That's good news. Amen. He came to seek and to save the lost. And I'll end with this. All those rebels, all those rebels who live as if they are their own God, they need to know this truth. They need to repent and believe. They can be saved. You can be saved. Father, we're grateful for this truth this morning. We're grateful for the fact that in this text this morning, we really see what not to do more than we see what to do, but these principles are strong principles, Lord, and we know that we can sometimes fall into this trap of, of wandering away from the Word of God and then mixing our actions with God things and, and thinking we're doing something right. But Father, I pray that, you, of course, you would bring us back to the truth, help us to measure everything against the Word of God and live lives that are pleasing to you. This is what this text is trying to show us, trying to communicate to us. So, Father, like I prayed when I started, give us grace to believe these things and then live in these things. Lord, please give us all that grace. And I pray it in Christ's perfect name. Amen.